Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Well, friends, um, if you were around in the early 2000s or something, you probably heard this acronym WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? Uh, We're switching a little bit to be WWJB, Who Would Jesus Be? Really focusing on his personality, character, um, and allowing ourselves space to let the character and person of Jesus rub off on us. I really believe that when we have a real encounter with Jesus, we are changed. When we really see a bit of who Jesus is, when we open ourselves up to be seen by Jesus, when there's an interaction, there's a transformation that happens, large or small. Last fall, in my own you know, personal Bible reading time, I was doing a red letter reading. So some of the uh, versions of the Bible, they, they write the words of Jesus. They print them in red ink. So just reading the, the words of, of Jesus in red letters. And it was amazing. Like, I just, I loved it. Because it seemed like so many times when Jesus was talking to, like, this whole group of people 2,000 years ago, super distant, different context, it was so perfect for me. And just kind of, yes, I feel that too. I've experienced that too. When Jesus talked to, you know, this ruler or, or this person, he was really speaking to me. And I think that's because the Bible is written to us for us. God does not have favorite people. He didn't like people 2,000 years ago more than he, he loves his kids now. He speaks to us. So we're going we're gonna to look at a passage of scripture, a story of Jesus, an interaction, and really let ourselves see who Jesus is and be changed by that. So let's pray and then we'll turn to scripture. Jesus, we give you our attention this morning. In the midst of distractions and busyness, in the midst of the good and the bad, on this beautiful day, we open our hearts to you and give you our attention. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us your attention all the time. You are not up in heaven distracted by other things, but that your gaze is on us, your focus is on us. And so we come into your loving gaze towards us. Would you speak to us now, not because we we want to be extra spiritual or or wishful thinking or, or religious hype, but would you speak to us through the clarity of your words passed down throughout generation and millennia? Would your word speak truth to our hearts? Come, Holy Spirit. Guide us and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 8. John was a follower of Jesus, one of his closer disciples, wrote down his whole life. Um, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. 
Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, it seems like these guys, they are being like really like zealous about the law and like, oh, we got to do follow all, all the rules. However, if we were to, you know, flip back a little bit in our book to the actual law of Moses, we, we would know that uh, they were not supposed to have just half of the equation. The man was supposed to be brought in also. Oops, that's rather a large omission. There was then supposed to be a careful trial. At which careful trial there would be an opportunity for them to confess. So they may not be quite as just like, I just really want to do things right the way Moses told us to. They may have a little bit of a test and trial. What's Jesus going to do? Is Jesus, what kind of a guy is Jesus? Is he really strict religious, follow all the rules? Or is he going to really bend and just loosen everything and be way too loosey-goosey? Is it going to be A or B? Who is Jesus? What's he going to do? Moving on, verse 6. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus, he just stooped down and wrote in the dusk with his finger. What? This is important. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down, kept writing in the dust. You know, we have wondered always, what was he writing in the dust? Well, it is possible that he is writing Jeremiah seventeen thirteen, or at least that that should ring a bell. There should be some connection. Jeremiah 17 says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who turn away from you will be disgraced. They will be buried in the dust of the earth. For they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water. That should be a little bit of a word of correction to them. It is possible... He was writing in the dust all their sins. We don't know. But he just kept writing in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away, one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. The word of the Lord. She stands before the one without sin. The one who could indeed cast the first stone, the one who has the most right to judge, least wants to. Where are your accusers? Reminds me of Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? If Jesus is for you, all those people who dragged you through the crowds cannot stand against the one man, Jesus. 
He does not hold her back. He does not condemn her. Condemnation holds us in the past. If we really want someone to keep messing up, keep doing the same wrong things again and again, just keep reminding them, oh, remember that one time you really messed up bad? Oh, that was a bad one. There's now no condemnation. Jesus releases her, forgives her to new life and a new way of being. Jesus has new life for this woman. Jesus has new life for me, for you. Jesus speaks his authority over her and over us. God does not condemn us. He releases us. Go, sin no more. You know, I think that we often have two uh, opposite but equally wrong impulses when we come before God and we've messed up, or when we think about God and we've messed up. The first one is, well, God will forgive me, so I'll just keep doing whatever I want, and I'll get forgiven at the end of all of this. That really makes a mockery of God. That would be rude to anyone, much less to God. And it is a very dangerous path for our souls to go down. The second mistaken impulse is to say, you know, I have just messed up too much. I mean, my, my mistakes are just too bad. There, there's, no, there's no hope for me, no real help for me. That really shrinks God and, and magnifies our own failings. In Jesus, we see the maximum forgiveness of sin and also the maximum carefulness about sin. Because, like, mercy. Mercy is, is letting someone off. When someone has wronged you, not when they've wronged someone else, but you, mercy is showing leniency towards the offender. It, it, it's uh, uh, withholding punishment that you had the right to give someone else. Jesus takes our full punishment for us so he can forgive our full punishment for us. Because in Jesus, we have God, the creator of the universe, the one who lovingly crafted the world. And he looks at his broken world and he's like, uh-uh, guys, I'm going in. So he comes and lives as, as a person off to a kind of shaky start with an unwed mother and a refugee fleeing for his life. But he grows up, he survives the tough start, grows, learns scripture, is at temple, uh, memorizing the Torah, loves his parents, is in community, becomes a, a craftsperson, a, a worker, has a, has a job. Then we see him moving into the full calling of who he is as fully God and fully man in his baptism, starting to teach the real meaning of the scriptures starting to show if God was a person, what would God be like? He would be like Jesus, healing, having compassion, fixing broken bodies and broken hearts. But God, he jumped in all the way, jumped into the worst of human life, jumped into rejection, pain, betrayal, torture, suffering, the worst of, of oppression. The Roman government, they didn't crucify their own folks. That would be like bar barbaric and wrong. They only crucified foreigners and, and minorities like these Jewish folks. He willingly gave himself to death on a cross. 
He took all the worst that we can possibly do to ourselves or do to each other. Jesus took it on. And Jesus rose to new life again. Because there is no sin that Jesus cannot overcome. No suffering that Jesus cannot heal and mend. Jesus has experienced it all and he has overcome it all. Jesus has taken on the worst of, of human wrong, wrongness on the cross. And so Jesus can forgive and forgive completely. In Jesus, we don't see a, a contradiction between like fairness and, and justice and consequences and like mercy and grace. In us, I mean, we, we struggle with that in us. We're like, you know, and when we think about God, it's like, hmm, well, what should God really do? Because, you know, people, we can mess up a lot. So there should be some repercussions, some consequences. But then, you know, you don't want to burden people with, you know, huge consequences for their huge mistakes. So like, hmm, what should God do? Maybe just split in half, 50-50, half consequences, half mercy. No, in Jesus, we see maximum grace and maximum justice. God's, God's justice and mercy do not fight with each other. The price is paid. There's full justice, full righteousness. That's maximized in Jesus. There's grace. There's second chances. There's forgiveness. That's maximized in Jesus. Uh, A.W. Tozer said, When Jesus died on the cross, the mercy of God did not become any greater. It could not become greater, for it was already infinite. The cross bore our full release and showed us God's eternal mercy. It was the mercy of God that gave us the cross, not the cross that gave us mercy. If God was not already and always merciful, there would have been no incarnation. No manger in Bethlehem, no man on a cross, no empty tomb. God is merciful. And in Jesus, we see who God is. The mercy of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, it's not like a, a pat on the back or a smile and a thumbs up. It's not even like, like a big hug. It's more... It's more visceral. It's more like taking off like cold, wet clothes. It's more like putting down a really heavy backpack at the end of a long school day. It's like the handcuffs being released or um, cutting off a tag that's been bothering you all day long. God's mercy does something to us almost like physically. It releases us. It, it, it changes us. I think about times I've received mercy. My uh, freshman year of college, um, I went to college on full um, financial aid, uh, academic scholarship, which was vital for me to attend college. And um, I was very happy to be there, set out to do really well. I probably thought I was smarter than I was, um, had a, a full course load. I worked really hard, and I failed one of my classes. And it's not like I was partying too hard. I tried and worked my very hardest and just couldn't make a C. Well, 
this was a nice shot at, you know, having a college life. I was like, it's over freshman year. My academic scholarship is pulled. Um, and I walked up those big stairs to the academic building, and I said, it's official. I got a D-plus in analytical chemistry. And they said, it's your freshman year. We'll let it slide. Oh, I felt like I had lost 100 pounds. I felt like I could breathe again. I, like, skipped down the steps and, uh, and went and failed no more classes. Go and fail no more. But it released me. I just, I, I it physically, I felt the, the weight released. I have not been caught in the act of adultery. I have, however, been caught in the act of um, some lies, some little cheating. Um, I, I have been found out in, in gossiping, jealousy and meanness that really does not look good on me, um, painful to admit. I've been caught in stinginess and withholding, and I've been caught in many things. I'm very grateful for the mercy of others that has released me, and for the mercy of Jesus that says, I don't accuse you. Go and sin no more. You know, I think we don't have a great vocabulary around sin. Uh, sin can, can certainly uh, very much is, you know, some of those mistakes and failings that you really cringe and look back and think like, oh my gosh, why? Why did I do that? Sin is when I talk with my kids, sometimes I talk about, about this ickiness. This, in, in others or in yourself, you can kind of feel it. You feel the tension. You feel the conflict. Uh, in others, you feel the disdain. You feel the, the wrongness a little bit coming off. But sin really is anything that's not God's best for us. We were created for loving union with God our Father. We were created for love and generosity one with another. We were created to enjoy this beautiful world and to live productive, fruitful lives in it. And by that standard, it is pretty realistic that a lot of what is around us is not God's best for us. not God's best for us, but man, God deals with it the best. Mercy releases us, and when we're really released, then go and sin no more becomes an actual possibility. We can do that when Jesus releases us. The Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy wins. Mercy is more successful. Mercy is more powerful and effective than judgment. We often think that judgment is the most effective way to get people to change. Surely, if I just like heap on a little bit more disdain, they will realize the error of their ways and want to please me and just, you know, a little bit more like bad, bad looks. 
It does not work that way. Mercy clears the slate. Mercy brings a new day. Mercy releases us to be different. We are kind of just, there's this intrinsic thing in us that we are set up to, to buy and to sell, to give and to take, to barter, to negotiate, to, to trade, not to give and receive. We have learned to, to earn and to expect. We have learned to, to negotiate, to bargain, not to give free gifts and to receive generosity. The other week, uh, uh, my youngest was invited to a party, a little party for a six, six-year-old birthday party. And they said, you know, just come to the party, please, no presents. We re- re- politely de- decline gifts. And uh, they said, you know, the kid has everything he needs. The holidays are coming up. And uh, I think this is a great idea. Because not only does it make me look real generous when I let my kid have a birthday party with presents, you know, it's really good. The kids have plenty. Make it, you know, less materialistic. I really applaud this decision. So we're getting ready to go to this birthday party. And we're heading out the door. And I just, I have this urge to bring something. I think like... I shouldn't leave empty-handed. I mean, they're going to give me a slice of cake, and, you know, my kid's probably going to drink a bottle of soda, and then I'm going to eat a slice of pizza. I'm like, Sarah, this is ridiculous. They can afford a whole box of pizza for you. Just go and enjoy. But I think, like, oh, I should do something. I like, we're just kind of intrinsically set up to expect to give and to take, to bargain, to negotiate. Um, But that's not how God is. God just gives and we receive freely from his grace and his mercy. Mercy can be counterintuitive, but it is the way of God. Now, if you've been around church for a while, um, or if you uh, have kind of uh, maybe some religious baggage, you'll say, yes, but Sarah, surely there have got to be some limits. God just can't be totally that nice. Or maybe you've read passages of scripture, and you're like, I think I remember hearing something about like an unforgivable mistake. You are correct. Matthew chapter 12 would uh, be that. Um, Let's take a quick, quick look at it. Um, Jesus says, And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. And you're like, well, Sarah, it's a slightly confusing passage. I'm not sure exactly what it means, but ta-da, there it is. There is something that God will not forgive me for. What does it say, though? Everything can be forgiven. Um... But if you deliberately persist in slanders, you know, as speaking against the Holy Spirit, in pushing away the one who forgives us, that's a problem. Um, if you speak a word against the Son, so Jesus, even if you say something about Jesus, we can forgive that. We could put attention to work through that. But if you... Um, 
Anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit pushes away the Holy Spirit. Um, the message version says it this way. You're cutting off the branch you're sitting on. You're pushing away, hardening your heart, um, rejecting the one who wants to forgive you. Basically, the only sin that can't be forgiven is rejecting the one who forgives. Rejecting the one who forgives. Jesus said, uh, as he talked about himself and his calling, Jesus said that God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world. He's got a positive mission. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. God is merciful. God loves and he forgives. It is just who he is. He does, of course, expect this of us. WWJB, who would Jesus be merciful? We also should likewise be merciful. Jesus told a story. Uh, Jesus told a lot of stories, and some of them are real. Mm, he was a good storyteller. Uh, Jesus told a story um, in Matthew uh, 18. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, kind of the way things work in God's way of doing things, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with some servants who borrowed money from him. Let's settle up, guys. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, children, and everything he owned into slavery to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little bit more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. This is what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. You know, I don't think most of us decide to be unmerciful. We don't wake up in the morning or turn 20 and say, it's time for me to be tough, ruthless, hard, just get the impression that maybe this is the grown-up way and it would be more effective and in these circles we should be, you know, it'll be more effective this way. We haven't sat with Jesus for long enough to learn a better way. 
One writer says, I came into this world with mercy for nearly everyone, certainly mercy for every cat and dog at the rescue shelter. Fat lot of good, it did me. Mercy made me vulnerable, emotional, a lot less productive. So my parents, teachers, and culture showed me a drawer. I just shove mercy into and only open at convenient times. I put mercy in the drawer for a long time. Now the drawer sticks. You know, we live in a society with cancel culture as a whole thing of cancel culture. There are topics and things that need canceled. People need mercy. People need mercy. People need working this out and figuring this out together. People need an authority who looks at them with love in the eye and says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. We're all people with very different, unique, uh, even in this room, different personalities, different skills and diff- giftings, different preferences, different ways of doing life. One thing that we all, all have in common is that we all need mercy. Every single one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, from the richest to the poorest, every one of us needs mercy. Do we know that Jesus has abundant mercy for every single one of our flaws and mistakes? every single one of our sins and failures? Do we know that we truly can have mercy on others and it will pay off? It will be effective. It will bring us closer to Jesus and closer to each other. Do we know that mercy is truly the best way for our souls? That it not only releases us when we receive, but it releases us when we give out mercy one to another. Do we know that God's love just brims over and spills over in total undeserved mercy for us? Because God looks at us and just says, Oh, he's my favorite. She's my favorite. That God loves us and would never want condemnation for us but wants to release us you know sometimes we get things a little bit um, confused and uh, we'll move into time of worship so worship team if you guys want to come up we can think that we are loved because we're good that's not true we are loved and because we are loved we are good. I brought in uh, this little uh, statuette that my uh, daughter made me in uh, fourth grade. And uh, I don't know if it's because, um, you know, I don't think I've made anything out of pottery beyond, you know, an ashtray at some point in time. I blocked that out of my memory, so I can't really say accurately or not. Um, but, you know, it's actually made in a kiln and... Um, 
she gave it to me, and we're both dog people, and so, you know, I just really like it. I love it, um, because she made it, and because uh, uh, all, of, all of these things, but I love it because, not because it is the best th- statue I've ever seen. It is one of my favorite statues because I love it. Because I love it, it is good. Because I love it, I place it on the top shelf of my dresser. Friends, you and I are the same with God. We are not loved because we are the best. We are good and valued and chosen because God loves us with a never-ending love. And this way, love is a gift. Love is a gift. All of us have our ugly sides. If being loved, we're we're dependent upon us being wonderful and and, and great. All of us would be cast out into the, the darkness of unlove at some point in time. We are good and chosen and valued because God loves us. Because God loves us. That's our start. That's our starting. Thank mm-hmm. you.